everybody, and welcome to Will Be Yeah, that's not what the show is called. Will Be Yeah, yeah. This is Will This Be on the Test. I'm Austin. I'm Maddie, and this is the first time you've gotten to introduce yourself first. I know. Let's just restart. We've had a bad start. I, I think we need to leave this in. I do the editing now. I can do whatever I want. How are you going to edit this out if I refuse to restart the podcast? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we record, the world apparently is ending. And oh, yeah, this has been a wild like week. It's like I remember back on Wednesday when our biggest complaint was, "Ugh, we might have to go by. We might have to go downtown while they're having the uh, NCAA like KU game, and there'll be a ton of people, and it'll be awful." That was our big worry on Wednesday. Yeah, and as of Wednesday, you know, we still had tickets to the Sporting KC game in a couple of weeks. We still had tickets to Welcome to Night Vale on the 21st. Oh, man. I was so excited. I don't blame them or anybody else for closing. I'm working from home officially for the next several weeks. Uh, my work mandated that anybody who could work from home does so. And I'm not sure there's anybody in my office who can't work from home. So we're setting, we set me up in the spare bedroom because even though we actually are recording from a home office, we realized we can't fit two monitors on my desk because my desk is actually a uh, drafting table. So maybe we should move the drafting table down there and get me a real desk. Maybe. Or and I was thinking I could just clean off my desk and you just use mine for the time being. We can just move stuff around. Or I could share a table with the snake. You could share a table with the snake. I'm sure she'd love to help you work. Or she'd love to be like, can I escape while I'm being watched? This is my greatest challenge yet. I know, uh, where, where I work is being closed to the public for two weeks, but we're still coming in, but I have no idea what I'm going to be doing. Austin went to the grocery store the other day, and he went to Costco earlier this week because we legitimately needed stuff that you get at Costco. Yeah, I Not because he was, like, panic buying. Like, we were out of cat food and we have four cats. Yeah, I, I just went to Costco to get cat food. It was, like, the day before, like, everything closed and there was mass panic in the streets and chaos. Costco was calm. There was no toilet paper. And I'm thinking I was the only person who didn't have, like, the maximum amount of water you were allowed to buy. Yeah, apparently people were fighting about how much water they were allowed. What do people think is going to happen to the water? I don't know. Because, I mean, it's going to take a lot for water to shut down. And we've talked previously about waterborne illnesses on this show and how you basically need to be drinking and bathing in the same... Oh. Water that is used for removal of waste and downstream from that. And that's not how water filtration works. Yeah. So it's the water is going to be pretty much fine. Um, If you're in a place where the water is currently fine anyway. Yeah. Um, if you're in a place where there's lead poisoning for everybody. Sorry. Things things won't get worse because of this, most likely. But yeah. Then I went to the grocery store because I had to pick up snake food, too. And this was after everything closed down. There weren't grocery carts left. Everything. No. Like, canned food dry pasta it was it was like there was a forecast for a blizzard but more so yeah but we did go to the liquor store last night because i knew i would need some wine and they were still pretty empty and they were completely well stocked and everyone there was calm so if you are looking for liquor you're probably in a good place and remember a lot of alcohol doubles as a cleaning solution yeah not a virus killing one but you can get rid of some bacteria. Yeah, and of course, we got a nice box of wine, so Maddie should be pretty uh, entertaining for at least this podcast and any other oh, future podcasts. No, I'm sober. I'm just drinking a soda. Oh, it is just a soda. Yeah, it's a blueberry acai diet Coke. Delicious. It's my favorite one. Well, today we were both going to talk about St. Patrick's Day because that's coming up. Yeah, I think we're scheduled to release on St. Patrick's Day. 
But I got really angry about the fact that soap is suddenly selling out because that made me think people must not have been washing their hands this whole time. Now, let me tell you, when I was 22, I threw out my back. And I mean, threw it out to the point where I had to literally be carried to the bathroom for a solid week. I did not have health insurance at the time because I couldn't afford it. I was, I was between jobs and grad school. It was a whole thing. So I couldn't go to the doctor. So a solid week, I couldn't move. And that happened while I was simply leaning over the sink to wash my hands. There was a pop and then I couldn't stand up again. You know what I still do? I still wash my hands. Even though the worst you've ever been hurt was a hand washing injury? Yes. So the fact that soap is suddenly selling out makes me think people must not have been washing their hands. So today I'm here to talk about the history of hand washing. When does it start? What does Pliny have to say about hand washing? Um, I actually couldn't find anything about Pliny. In fact, I couldn't find anything before the 14th century. Okay. But I'm sure there was stuff before that. I mean, there's biblical references, like I just blanked on his name. Pontius Pilate being like, I'm washing my hands of this. It's always had a religious meaning. It's always been, this is me getting the darkness and the dirtiness off of myself. But it wasn't always health related. It's funny, I started researching this only four days ago, and it was really hard to find information. I finished my research yesterday, and there was a lot out there. So people are actually looking for this. People are publishing. I'm a little worried that people started writing research papers on it that got published just a couple of weeks before we found out about the pandemic happening. Or I think maybe the algorithm was seeing all these people like it's like no, I'm talking about I'm talking about uh, scientific papers published February twentieth. Oh wow! Okay, so people knew this was coming and no one was listening. So like you are on the cutting edge of hand washing science with this podcast. Listen here, folks. You're like getting the best hand washing information you could get, all because you listen to us. In this time of trial. Now, some of my resources, of course, were globalhandwashing.org, the National Center for Biotechnology Information, NPR, HistoryExtra.com, Hardy Diagnostics, National Geographic. I couldn't figure out what college this was, but it's historyofhandwashing.leader.msu.edu. The Committee on the Control of Foodborne Illness of the International Association of Food Protection, which is actually a series of 12 pieces that are fascinating written by uncd todd et al if you just basically look for hand washing and then todd et al you'll find these 12 pieces they are legitimately fascinating and i could have easily read all 12 of them and just summarized them but that's not what i'm really here to talk about so in the 14th century people began to see a connection between illness and dirtiness a surgeon named john arden Uh, John Arden wrote about making sure his potential apprentices, he was a surgeon, all had clean hands and nails. In the early 1500s, Italian Dr. Tommaso Rangone also said that hands should be regularly cleaned, and his peers recognized that skin diseases like scabies could easily be spread from skin-to-skin contact. So they were recognizing, we can spread stuff from our skin. Understandably, they didn't understand that things you couldn't see weren't spreading that way. But they're like, oh, you know, I have scabies. I'm touching you now. You have scabies. It's like, it was like cooties, but visible. So they understood that. During this time, people also tended to wash their hands before eating. People in like this era get a really bad rap, but they actually were washing their hands fairly regularly. Georgian, we don't hear about Georgian times very much. No. Wealthy people worried about their servants having dirty hands while cooking and serving their food, and even insisted that they keep their hands visible so that they could make sure they were clean. 
just like mom does before going we age. It's like, oh, hands, like, nice try, bub. Even Jonathan Swift's book, which was called Directions to Servants, was written in 1745, went after servants who made salads after using the toilet or handling raw meat. So they knew something was connected between feces and raw meat and uncooked food. Wow. In 1745, which, by the way, is also when we started figuring out, you know, things like vaccines. Remember what I talked about? Yeah. That slave who was like, hey, guys, by the way, this is what we do. I want you to keep in mind that vaccines have existed since before hand washing regulations. But then actual science got involved and people were like, nope, can't listen to it now. We don't believe in science. In 1846, a doctor named Ignaz Simmelweis was working in Vienna General Hospital in Hungary. He noticed that the women who gave birth in the part of the hospital run by medical students and doctors were significantly more likely to die than those in the neighboring midwife-run maternity ward. His hospital's mortality rate was 16%, while the midwives was a comparatively low 7%. Not being an idiot, he decided to see what the two were doing differently. He tried a few different things, like first he realized that women in the midwifery gave birth on their sides while they gave birth on their backs in the hospital. So he tried that. That didn't fix the mortality rate. Then they had a priest that would walk through the hospital dinging a bell. Can I want you to imagine somebody in those kind of robes and it's like saying chanting prayers and ding. You probably think you're about to die. The midwife didn't have that, so he stopped that. That shockingly didn't stop people from dying. But then a pathologist got sick and died. So once a man actually got sick, that's when they started to figure out what was happening. Because if you have a vagina, there can't possibly be an issue there. He discovered that the pathologist had pricked himself during an autopsy and died of the same kind of fever the women in the ward died from. He then realized that doctors and med students were going to the maternity ward immediately after performing autopsies and not touching, not washing their hands. This sounds a lot like what, uh, from uh, Dr. Mutter, what Dr. Meigs was saying can't mm-hmm. possibly be the problem. Mm-hmm. And what year was this? 1846. Oh, cool. So like roughly the same time. This was- yep. Uh, midwives, on the other hand, weren't doing surgery or touching dead people than delivering babies and touching open wounds on women. So Simmelweis decided that the doctors had cadaverous particles on their hands and insisted that they wash all instruments and their hands with chlorine before entering the maternity ward. Women went from 16% mortality rate to 3%. Damn. However. There's always a However. However, the doctors got really, really pissy because they're like, you're being mean to us and saying that it's our fault that the women are dying. He's like, no, I'm saying that there's particles on you. Yeah, that it's like your, hand, your hands. We've learned a new thing. Follow the new thing. So they stopped washing their hands in protest and said that the water in the hospital was really to blame. So their death rate went back up and no one would listen to Simmelweis. Granted, he was kind of a dick about the whole thing and would publicly berate the people who didn't listen to him. And it's been proven that when you're making a decision about a policy change, you need to at least make the other people who work with you believe they had a say in this and this was partially their idea. (laughs) And he didn't do that. And instead he just told them they were idiots for not listening. But uh, later on, Simmelweis, he lost his job over this. They kept the doctors who wouldn't wash their hands, got rid of the one who had lowered the mortality rate shocked he would either develop syphilis or very early onset alzheimer's in his 40s and he went to an asylum where he was beaten and ultimately died of sepsis which would have been prevented if the doctors had washed their hands 
Alanis Morissette would say that's ironic. Well, think about that whistleblower doctor who was like, hey guys, coronavirus is a real problem and then died of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. It's all fucking connected. Like, yeah. things don't change. He was not the first doctor to discover this. Oliver Wendell Holmes, for instance, published on it first. But the irony of his death is probably why Simmelweis is more remembered. Kind of like how Jonathan Larson died the night before Rent opened. Like, I don't know that Rent would be as big of a thing now if that hadn't happened. Now, Oliver Wendell Holmes, he was he wrote about it. He's like, guys, we've, we know for a fact. We have proven washing your hands will lower the mortality weight. Your patients will be healthier. You are not likely to kill them. He had an enemy. Who was his enemy? This enemy did not like the idea that Holmes put forth that men's hands weren't magically clean all the time. In fact, saying doctors are gentlemen and gentlemen's hands are clean. Who said it? Who said it? Who do you think? Was it Dr. Meeks? It was! Yes! (laughs) Going back to the fact that this guy treated women giving birth. If these guys had all been penis doctors, this would have been fixed before now. Oh, yeah. One million percent. So it all ties together. All of history is one big ball of wibbly wobbly, tiny whiny stuff. I love it. So I, I found that Meeg's reference and I almost didn't include the Oliver Wendell Holmes thing. That's not especially important to the greater story, but I'm like, oh man, Meeg shows back up yes. and he's the villain in this story he's too. The villain. Okay, Meeg's is the villain in everybody's story. Except for Rachel Bloom's. Or Rebecca Bunch, as it were, because she's the villain in her own story. That's true. We also have Louis Pasteur and Joseph Lister. Oh, Louis Pasteur? Louis Pasteur. Louis Pasteur. (laughs) Began to make advances in germ theory in the 19th century, in part because of what Simmelweis found. At this point, people still believed in the miasma theory, which is, we've talked about, people believe that disease spreads through bad smells. These two dudes were like, hey, I bet there are tiny organisms. In fact, let's call them microorganisms, and these can enter your body and reproduce. They were not the first people to engage in germ theory. Germ theory began in the 1500s. They had early microscopes then, and they were like, huh, what's this tiny thing I'm looking at? And then later on, they were like, huh, people who have this one illness have tiny things like this in their blood. People who don't have this illness don't have those tiny things. I bet these tiny things have to do with the illness. So germ theory actually began in the 1500s. But Pasteur and again, You're making shit up. I know, I'm absolutely making shit up. What we do in this podcast is um, we make fun of the jazz age. and no, we you mis- make fun of the jazz age. We, I make fun of the jazz age and I mispronounce French. That's my thing. The jazz age comes up in this too. Yes. Uh, Louis, Louis P. Let's go with that. Uh, and Joseph Lister, who were not working together as far as I could find. I'm not an expert, but there was no, like, Pasteur and Lister at it again kind of thing. They... Looks like those Pasteur boys are at it again. They figured out without any room for doubt that germs lead to disease. There was no room for doubt at this point. They probably figured out on a penis somehow. And Pasteur, of course, would invent the process of pasteurization in which germs and other microorganisms could be killed and food and drink would be safer to consume and last longer. It had to do with heating things to a certain level. Two years after Simmelweis's death, Joseph Lister began to insist on surgeons watching their hands. They weren't too keen on it, but he didn't get as much pushback as Simmelweis did, probably because he wasn't as big of a dick about it. In the 1870s, it kind of became standard for them to wash their hands before surgery, but it wasn't intensive scrubbing. It was like, choo-choo, done. 
like people apparently do now. Around this time as well, I'm going to briefly mention her because she actually doesn't come up as much in this research as you might imagine. Florence Nightingale was working as a nurse in the Crimean War. She, uh, it's asserted that she reduced the death rate among her patients from 42% to 2% by, re- by enforcing hygiene practices, including hand washing. Her later career also involved advocating for sanitary living conditions and peacetime deaths in, uh, in the army reduced as well. But she was ignored because vagina. By the late 19th century, so we're getting towards the end of this century, soap actually became pretty common on regular store shelves. Before this time, it actually wasn't regularly available to normal non-doctor people. But so it's everywhere. But let's skip ahead to the 1920s. Let's do it. I want to hear about the 1920s. Now, I want you to remember, late 19th century, late 1800s, soap is widely available. Nobody really notices. It was kind of like right before this whole coronavirus thing. And they're like, meh, I don't need soap. It's like, toilet paper? I've got plenty. Why How would Why would I need three cases of toilet paper from Costco? Uh, you still don't know three, need three cases of toilet paper from we Costco. We had one that's lasted us like close to a year. Yeah, we actually, Austin texted me, he goes, what if we actually do run out of toilet paper and then people think we're crazy because we have to go out and buy toilet paper because we're down to like five rolls. This is, I have like this, I was actually up at night worried about this. I discovered a new form of social anxiety you're welcome, internet. But then I pointed out to him that we also have about 10 boxes of Kleenexes. Yep. So we good. And also, you know, toilet paper and we're good. We do have our emergency um, Trump roll. We do. We have a roll that has Trump on it that I gave you for Christmas two years ago. Yep. Well, we're skipping ahead to the 1920s. We're talking 80 years after people thought that Simmelweiss was mean and Florence Nightingale was some kind of witch or something, right? Yeah. The next time it really came up was for profit because... We listen to profit more than medicine. Of course. Like, it's, someone's got to make a dime off of it. The soap manufacturing company Lever Brothers, and I think Lever is still around. Yes. Ran a clean hands campaign telling kids they need to wash their hands three times a day before breakfast and dinner and then also after school. They also ran ads, and I'll try to post some of these on our social media because they're amazing, saying that life buoy soap, life buoy soap, why is this not still a thing? Prevented the dangers associated with dirty hands and that parents are bad parents if they don't force their kids to wash their hands and also to model this behavior for them. This is an excellent advertising campaign. Yeah, that's an excellent advertising campaign. And, you know, parents, they should make their kids wash their hands. Kids' hands are sticky and gross and full of germs. They absolutely should be making their kids wash their hands. This was not something they knew really before this time. I just love, you know, it's manipulative advertising and it's super mean and it makes me happy. I like it when things are mean. This explains so much. (laughs) So it did have a little bit of effect, but there still wasn't a huge push for every house to have soap. And there was no kind of hand washing rule, like in restaurants, anything like that. There was no, like we know now, wash your hands this way for 20 seconds. They didn't have any of that. So that's the jazz age. We're still not focusing on clean hands. So you might be thinking now, hmm, maybe by World War II we had it figured out. I mean, surely by World War II, we we were entering the atomic age. We should have figured this out. They began to realize that unhygienic conditions were exacerbating the illnesses and injuries of the soldiers. So they started to, you know, make things cleaner. And they invented the CDC in 1946. The CDC was like, hey, let's give some information out. So that must be when the hand washing regulations and dispersal of information happened, right? Obviously, yeah. No. I'm guessing no. Your face says no. So I remember CDC invented in 1946. 
Yeah. Give me a guess about when they started having hand washing regulations. I'm going to put it like like around jo- John F. Kennedy. JFK. No. It was the 1980s. The 80s? The 80s, as in the decade in which you and I were born. Was someone like, was there just like this big rash of people getting sick from yes. like their key tars? From food. Oh, from food. Yeah. So it, people have only been told to regularly wash their hands for 40 years. How has humanity survived this long? Crazy. In 1981, the first guidelines for those in public health settings were outlined. So up until this point, it had been like, yeah, wash your hands. I mean, it's like... They must nobody have, was regulating it. There was nobody... Surely they were like, you need to wash your hands, but there just wasn't like the best practices. People were washing their hands, right? Right? Uh, People were washing their hands. Like, this is literally the first time there was a hard and set, fast, hard and fast set rule, rule set for doctors and nurses. What? And even then there was resistance because it makes my skin red and itchy. They were like, I would much rather transfer disease to my patients than have eczema. This is uncomfortable. Now, I have really severe eczema. Austin can attest to how miserable I was for a while. Oh my God. It was, it was like, it looked like leprosy. Yeah. He called it my leprosy before we knew what it was. Eczema sucks. I would rather wash my hands with highly fragranced soap every single day than have the possibility of spreading disease to somebody. So they went in and discovered that alcohol-based things were actually less irritating than antiseptics, which I'll talk more about in a minute. But they were choosing to kill people over having some eczema until somebody figured this out for them. Well, it was the 1980s. I mean, your hair was big and your... Oh, it's 1981. Things are still very 70s. Oh, okay, cool. So, never mind. Now, remember, though, this is just doctors. The rest of us don't need that shit, right? Right. Oh, except for, like, everyone who cooks and handles anything that's related to food or children. Hand washing became popularized after a series of foodborne illnesses in the late 1980s. Late 1980s. There was one in the early 1980s, but for the majority, Austin... We were alive. Both of us were already fucking born before people thought, hmm... Maybe I should wash my hands. Wow. How did we survive? Like, actually, though, my, I'm not saying our parents didn't wash their hands, obviously, but not everybody around them was washing their hands. This, like, this explains how, like, all of those, like, greasy spoons our parents talked about. Oh, I got sick from this restaurant. When was the last time we got sick from a restaurant? Well, there have been a few outbreaks over the last few years. Like, there was something with lettuce. and Yeah, that was like, but that was, like, just unwashed lettuce. That wasn't hand washing. That was just lettuce that hadn't been cleaned properly. Who, where had the lettuce come from? Had nobody ever touched it? Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, and granted, some of it is from the chemicals and blah, blah, blah. But keep in mind, the entire chain of people that touches your food before it even gets to the restaurant, many of them live in places that don't even have wells regularly available to wash their hands in, let alone sinks and regular bricks. This included a 1987 Shigella, think stomach flu with diarrhea, outbreak in North Carolina that hit 6,350 people. Or another in Michigan in 1988 when people got it from tofu. Is this why my family hates tofu? Well, the next one's in Minnesota. This is might be why my family this hates is, tofu. This one's not tofu, oh. though. This is the early 80s one that I mentioned, but I just thought it was interesting. In 1982, 3,000 people got norovirus from Ooh, frosting bad. in Minnesota. This one's oh, actually kind of bad. sad, and it ties directly to what's happening now. So as you guys probably heard, 
a lot of people are afraid that they're going to lose their jobs if they get coronavirus or if their kids have to stay home from school or anything like that because they're hourly workers who rely on this paycheck to paycheck or maybe just slightly better than that. And there aren't very many rules saying that you can't be fired for getting something like coronavirus. So this is one of those cases. This guy was in a, worked in a bakery, had diarrhea and vomiting happening, worked for six hours making frosting and frosting cakes. During that time, he had five bouts of diarrhea and vomited twice and then went straight back to working with his up to his elbow in the frosting. Ew. Yeah. Please tell me it wasn't chocolate frosting. <laughs> it doesn't say. Thank you, whoever wrote this, for not mentioning but if it was chocolate frosting. Because of this one guy, 3,000 people got sick. And I can't even be mad at him about it because you have he had sick kids at home too, it said. What are you going to do? Just miss paychecks and then not make your bill payments? Like, I get it. It sucks, though. And I actually, I worked at a job once. Yeah, Wells Fargo don't care if you're sick. I worked at a job once where I was in food service. I had made this food. I was handling out samplings of this food. This was not cooked food. And one moment, I'm handing out samples. The next thing, I'm lying on the ground. Samples of sushi lying all around me. And then I got up and ran to the bathroom to throw up. And then I went to my supervisor and I said, something's really wrong. I have to go to the health center because this was on a college campus. Got there, got diagnosed with a very bad uh, flu. One of the sickest times I've ever been. The, like sicker was swine flu and one other flu I got. On my way walking home from the health center, my boss called me and said it was inappropriate that I had left my shift. And that if, it, that if anything like this ever happened again, and if I didn't provide a doctor's note, I was fired. Wow. I was handling sushi, the least cooked food on earth. Like I had gloves on when I made the sushi. I think I had gloves on when I made the samples, but she wanted me to stay at work with the stomach flu, working in food service on a college campus, making God knows how many people sick. Oh my God. You could have, you could have killed a generation of scholars. <laughs> scholars. Oh yeah. Never mind. So like, how the fuck seriously have we survived this long? And then in 1995 to 1996, so you and I are in like fifth grade, right? Right. Up until this point, we've been told, yeah, kind of wash your hands, right? The CDC Healthcare Infection Control Practices Advisory Committee, also known as HIPAC, began to recommend that doctors and nurses use antimicrobial soap or waterless antiseptic when leaving the rooms of patients who had multiple drug-resistant pathogens. Until this point, they had not been telling them to use good soap when leaving the rooms of people who had illnesses that were resistant to drugs. How have we survived? Okay, like, washing your hands seems like the easiest, simplest, cheapest solution to so many of these problems, and why the fuck are we so resistant to this? Well, like, at this point, nobody had told them to do it, so they weren't doing it. Like, you don't know what you don't know. I get yeah. that. But that's something that should have been like, hey, wait a second. People in this hospital are catching this thing that this guy in isolation has. How are they getting it? Oh, wait, it's because we don't have antimicrobial pr procedures for when we leave. So foodborne illnesses still happen because people aren't careful in washing their hands. Think about how many we've seen in just the last few years, people going from the farmers to the people working in the restaurants. That said, I truly do believe the majority of people who work in food service are doing their best to not kill you. I have worked in food service a few times. We are trying to not kill you. At least those of us who don't write the paychecks are. I don't know. I've watched a lot of true crime documentaries, and there are lots of people in food service that want to kill you. Like Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> no handshakes. Aww. <laughs> Gotta turn off this blender. <laughs> 
So Todd et al. suggests that what they need and what people need in general is not just to be told to wash their hands, but to have a culture around them that supports hand washing. So it's one thing to be told, go wash your hands. It's another thing to be encouraging about it. So think about when you're a kid and your parents go wash your hands. Oh, yeah. wash your hands. It was always like like a punitive thing. Like exactly. it was a it was a washing my hands was like it's like, hey, you little fuck up, go wash your hands. Yeah, and it's a good thing for, for parents to model this, like was mentioned in that 1920s ad, but also to teach their kids how to do it, do the full 20 seconds thing. And make it kind of a fun thing. This is a thing that you're eventually going to want to do. I'm not saying give them candy for doing it because that doesn't provide, uh, increase intrinsic motivation, which Todd at all says is very important. They need to want to do it and not just because of a reward. And he's talking about adults. Kids, if you start them young, man. So things like teach them a song that they only get to sing when they wash their hands. Do you want to hear, or... uh, you want to hear the song that I've been going through in my head? To do my 20 second timer. Okay. It is um, the first part of All Star by Smash Mouth. <laughs> yeah, you just like start, you start it and you stop at well. But why would you stop? Why don't you just wash your hand for the entire three and a half minutes? Because I don't have obsessive compulsive disorder. Shut up. It's not like I have to list all 50 states when I wash my hands. What are you doing? I have to list all 50 states where my hands won't get clean. So you need to have this positive culture surrounding hand washing. You need to create this whole like hand washing is a good thing because it's a good thing. It's something that good people do. Yeah. Not you're a bad person if you don't wash your hands. We've, we talked like, about this with things like the bystander effect. It's like you're a filthy little boy. You need to wash your hands. Not they. It's like you want to kill your grandma? Wash your hands. <laughs> yes. So you want it to be a positive thing that gets enforced from a young age. So I want to briefly explain something too. Some person on the internet, on an article I was reading that was like about good hand washing practices, and it basically, like they were like, yeah, 20 seconds is good. If you have, if you're in a hurry, wash your hands, no matter what, like 10 seconds, five seconds, do it, but 20 seconds, then went through the whole thing. This person didn't know the difference between antimicrobial and antibacterial. And so they're saying, you don't need to wash your hands. It doesn't make a difference right now anyway, because soap is antibacterial, which means it doesn't kill viruses. This person is wrong. Don't listen to morons on the internet. Listen to morons who have podcasts. Now, they are correct in saying this with they're talking about hand sanitizer, not soap. But soap is antimicrobial. Antimicrobial things kill microorganisms or at least stop their growth, including both bacteria and viruses. Antibiotics or antibacterials kill only bacteria, not a virus. Coronavirus is a virus. In order for your hand sanitizer to work, it has to be at least 90% alcohol. The standard is 60 to 70%. So if your alcohol hand sanitizer is not 90%, you are not protecting yourself coronavirus from coronavirus. You might as well just get rubbing alcohol because at least that's higher. Actually, not even regular rubbing alcohol because I know that I work in a library and occasionally we'll have like scares about bed bugs. And we know that for to kill a bed bug, it has to be at least 91% alcohol. And you have to special order that. You cannot find that places. Basically, anything that's not soap and water will not kill a virus. And if you manage to find something that is similar to hand sanitizer rubbing alcohol that is strong enough, it will eat off your skin because yeah. that's when it becomes a disinfectant. Yeah, uh, it, oh, it absolutely burns your skin. You do not, you want to wear gloves when you're working with that stuff. Disinfectants are antimicrobials that you do not drink or put on your skin. They are things like your bleaches, your all-purpose cleaners. Um, the anti- Barbasol. Antiseptics. 
are antimicrobials and applied to living tissues. So antiseptics, that's kind of like what's in your wipes that you use and things like that. But at the end of the day, soap and water, soap and water, soap and water. Also, the water doesn't have to be hot um, because water cannot get hot enough to kill micro microorganisms and also not melt your skin off. That's true. Yeah, because if it's hot enough to kill bacteria, it's hot enough to kill your skin cells. Yeah. So basically, if you prefer cold water, go for it. It doesn't fucking matter. When so, I'm, so, so like warm water is just for comfort. It's not actually. Yeah, exactly. Warm water is just for comfort. It doesn't need to be so hot that it scalds you. In fact, that's probably just doing more damage. Anyway, so those are the differences between antimicrobials, antibiotics slash antibacterials, antiseptics, and disinfectants. People seem confused. When I was a teacher, I taught middle school. Oh. You would think that you don't have to teach middle schoolers how to wash your hands. And in fact, I made a joke about that because every semester, even if they'd had me already, they had to learn about health and hygiene because I was a theater teacher and theaters are cramped. Disease spreads quickly. I was very insistent about hand washing and vampire coughing. If any of my students are listening, yes, I will be posting a link to the vampire cough video. You know which one I'm talking about. And part of you is groaning right now, but part of you is thinking, man, I missed that video. Vampire coughing is when you cough into your elbow. Why am I doing... Why did I do that? You can't see me on the podcast. But middle schoolers, even if you know how to wash your hands, even if you had somebody at some point teach you to do the 20 seconds and the whole thing, you aren't doing it anyway. You know, are asking me, I'm sure, Maddie, you're right. How do I wash my hands effectively? Tell us, tell us. Well, anytime you're messing with food or dealing with human waste or any other fluids or blowing your nose or similar or handling your pets or their food or touching garbage, wash your fucking hands. Even if you're thinking, I haven't washed my hands in a couple hours, wash your fucking hands. Just do it. Then you go into wherever you plan to wash your hands, your bathroom, your kitchen, the hose outside, I don't care. Get your hands wet. Yes, put the water on them first. The soap is less effective without the water. People seem to think, oh, I put the soap directly on my hands. It's going to be a lot soapier. No, no, no. It needs the water. The water is important. Then start um, start scrubbing your hands. Rub them together, fronts, backs, between your fingers, under your nails for at least 20 seconds. Go to town on those bad boys. I hate the happy birthday song, which you sing twice and they tell you to do it. Go on the internet. There's a whole list of 20 second songs. I list the 50 states and I've gotten really good at it, except for Wisconsin, which does not exist. It looks like a mitten. Honestly, who can take them seriously? So I always get to 49 and I'm like, which one did I forget? And it's always fucking Wisconsin. Then after you've scrubbed your hands for 20 seconds, rinse them completely. Get all of that shit off and then dry them. Towels are best like freshly cleaned towels or disposable paper towels. Remember when you yelled at me when I dried my hands on the cat? Cats are covered in their own feces and spit too, bro. Not our cats. They're wonderful little angels. Um, remember what Fezzik did last night? Oh, gross. Yeah, our cat jumped onto the bed and then walked across me to get to Austin. And he walked across my bare feet. And he definitely just used the litter box and had not cleaned himself thoroughly because he is large and can't balance well. Anyway, if you don't wash your hands simply because you cannot dry them, you are an idiot. And you remember how nice I was during bystander syndrome? Yeah. Not, like, not everybody's going to do the right thing all the time. Not everybody's going to, like, you know, step in and help somebody. You're not having to put yourself at risk here. But you are putting other people at risk if you don't wash your hands. You don't know who could be immunocompromised around you. I actually saw somebody say, that's their problem. They just shouldn't go in public. Yeah, no, that's, that's bullshit. 
Yeah, it's like also they have family members who have to go in public and are now carrying mm-hmm. your feces back to them. I had a medical exemption from the whooping cough vaccine. I got whooping cough because somebody chose to not get vaccinated and also chose to not wash their hands. Chances are, if you are somebody who does not wash your hands, you have killed somebody at some point. Hope you're proud. Now you're thinking, okay, well, what about that hand sanitizer? Fuck you. Seriously. Yeah, hand sanitizer, not as good. It's just drying out your skin and it's actually more likely to make you sick because then bacteria can get in through these little tiny dried out spots in your skin and into your bloodstream through your hands. Yeah, it doesn't replace soap. No, seriously, it fucking doesn't. And we need to stop pretending it does. Looking at you again, schools. Let the kids wash their hands. Give them an extra minute of passing period time. Stop banning them from a bathroom. Hell, have a set time where it's like, let's just go take a bathroom break, even in middle and high school. I'm not saying stand in there and creepily watch the kids, make sure they wash their hands because at that point it's, you know, they're old enough. But at least don't take away the opportunity and don't say, just use hand sanitizer. But the CDC agrees with us. Yay! It says that these do not get rid of all types of germs, including viruses. They are not as effective if your hands are visibly dirty or have any kind of grease on them. And it is not able to remove harmful chemicals. You know what can? Soap and water. Soap and water. Yeah. The much, much cheaper and better for your skin soap and water. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a bind and you have to use it. Oh, and I want to go back to the soap thing earlier, the public soap thing. I do understand that some people do have legitimate severe allergies to different types of soaps. And while you probably do carry your own soap in that case, I know sometimes shit happens and you forget things. I'm not mad at you. (laughs) And I also understand this might be a time where you do need to use hand sanitizer. I'm not mad at you. Some things just suck. But I'm kind of guessing that like the eight out of 10 people who leave the bathroom, I'm, I'm making up a statistic, without washing their hands, probably not all allergic to it. And again, as somebody with skin allergies and eczema, I'd rather be in pain. But I knew some people like have skin allergies that are very severe. And I'm not, you are not my target audience with this. (laughs) (laughs) If you do need to use hand sanitizer, apply it to one hand in the amount that the bottle recommends. More than that, you are actually just doing nothing and making yourself smell bad. The evaporation is what kills the germs. If you have too much hand sanitizer, it will not evaporate quickly or effectively. You rub it front, back, under nails, between fingers, just like soap and water, for 20 seconds, just like soap and water. If it's not fully dry, wave your hands back and forth, fan them back and forth so that it will finish evaporating. If you rub it on your pants, you have undone all the work that you just did. And now you smell like hand sanitizer for no reason. Seriously though, just use the goddamn soap. Remember how low Simmelweis got the number of women dying to? Remember the number of times throughout history we have gone, hey, you know what works? Soap and water. And somebody goes, no, I'm not going to do it. No, don't be that guy. Be the guy who lowered the mortality rate. Be cool. Wash your fucking hands. I catch everything. You do. And I wash my hands regularly. I'm a lot better now that I'm not teaching in a classroom, but it goes back to kids aren't given the time. Teachers aren't given the time to effectively wash their hands. Of course, things are spreading. They like to blame it on the enclosed spaces or the number of people. Nobody ever talks about the fact that kids are not given time and opportunity to wash their hands. I've worked in schools that literally, we even went to a school, but it was the year after we left, that literally locked the bathrooms during passing periods, sometimes during class, sometimes both. I peed in the bush once. We're not allowed to use the bathroom because, oh, there was some graffiti. 
I peed you in are the bush. stopping them from washing their hands. Peed in a bush because of that. And also, do you really want to be one of the kids who has to like show off that you have some kind of gastrointestinal related disease by having a special bathroom key? That just seems mean. So let kids wash their hands. Let employees have time to wash their hands. If you are just sitting at home throughout the day and realized, I haven't gone to the bathroom in a few hours, go wash your hands. If you're about to make food, wash your hands. If you just pet your cat, wash your hands. It's not hard, guys. Tired of being sick all the time. I never get sick, but I'll get sick for like six hours and then you'll get it and you'll be down for like a week. Soda just went up my nose. Oh no, she's going to get sick. (laughs) This is it. This is what's going to kill her. It's gone into her lungs and she's going to get like some weird acai berry fungus. (laughs) Anyway, are you ready for some questions? I am ready for some questions. Will this be on the test? Will the first person to really push for hand washing in hospitals, the fact that he was ignored by doctors because their feelings were hurt, be on the test? Yes, because kids need to learn that sometimes, fuck your feelings. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, guys, yes, your feelings do matter most of the time. But if your feelings are hurt because somebody told you to go back and wash your hands better... Get over it. Will the fact that soap started to become more widely used, not for health reasons, but because they made some money, be on the test? You know what? This is America, and I feel like that's what they'll be most proud to teach you. Will the fact that hand sanitizer does not kill viruses and should not replace soap be on the test? No, because then there's some kid who's going to have an absolute fucking panic attack. <laughs> and this, I don't know why I wrote this. I think there was a question in this at some point. Read it. Read it. People on the internet are fucking morons if they tell you to not use soap, to not wash your hands, and that it's better to have literal shit on your fingers than eczema. I think there was a question intended you know, there. I, I'm like, will, will that statement show up on a test? It will show up and in that exact word. And then, and then teachers get fired. And then teachers get fired. <laughs> so, yeah, but... Um, should the fact that you shouldn't listen to randos on the internet over actual medical science be on the test? Yeah, that should be on the test, but I feel like you know, that ship has sailed, Jenny McCarthy. You are the thing that pisses me off about Masked Singer. She's the, she is the low point of Masked Singer. If they had anyone other than her, that show would be perfect. Yeah, yeah. Like this. Robin last- Thicke is a delight, and I did not expect that. But Jenny McCarthy can just fucking die already. Oh god, and this last week, the person who got revealed, and fast forward like 30 seconds if you haven't watched it yet. Yeah, so there we have a masked singer spoiler on our podcast. Austin actually came very close to guessing it, because he's like, oh, I was like, it's a Republican. And he goes, it's one of the Palin kids, the one with the kid. And I was like, Bristol. We're like, Um, okay. I didn't say one of the Palin kids. I said, it's one of the Palin brood. And it turned out to be... Sarah fucking Palin. And we both yelled Sarah Palin and our cats were furious. I have, they were, they were scared and they've been acting weird ever since. So I think Sarah Palin ruined our cats. But watching her sing Sir Mix-a-Lot. Baby got back. We're in a world right now where seeing Sarah Palin on television is a high point of your week. Solid performance didn't terrify me. No! Unlike, unlike many other performances I've seen from conservatives in the media this last week. Mm-hmm. So, that is my long, extensive rant and anger about hand washing. Have fun editing. Oh, that. good. You're, you're punishing me. <laughs> well, it's okay. Um, I'm glad we had your nice, light, hopeful, brilliant. Oh, Jesus Christ. Keep going. What, what are we at? 53 minutes. 
So I'm going to save mine for next week. <laughs> because we, we just had a PSA about washing your fucking hands, you goddamn animals. Uh, I actually had the word cretins in there at one point and it got deleted. Okay, you cretins. <laughs> I don't even need to do. I don't even need to do mine. The our one St. Patrick's Day related one. We don't even have to do it. Our episodes are usually an hour to an hour and ten minutes long, with each of us taking thirty-five ish minutes. And I just went on a hand washing. His okay. The history of hand washing was actually really interesting. It was very interesting, and I'm sure there's a lot that I said you can cut out. No, I, that's the thing. I'm. I've been like kind of keeping track of like, okay, when can I cut her off? Because usually you'll go on a rant about something completely unrelated. That's like one of your hard takes on something. You didn't do it on this one. You were very focused. Well, this whole thing was my hard take. And I know, super controversial. Wash your motherfucking hands. God, I still can't get over Because remember, I walked out into the bedroom or into the living room from the bedroom. And I said, Austin, you won't believe how recently people started washing their hands. And I was like in horror. And I kept wanting to tell you, and you kept yelling, save it for the podcast. Save it for the podcast. I see. It's like I had a sinking, like this sinking feeling. This is going to be a long one. And when I asked her about like, how long is yours? It's like, oh, it's seven pages. Six. Six. Oh, six pages. This is I'm not sorry. actually as long as most of mine. What? I've got like five pages of handwritten notes and I talk as long as you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is crazy. So like, should I even do mine? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Okay. Like, I guess worst case scenario, we'll split it into two episodes. Yeah. Well, mine's not going to be like two episodes worth. This will be the special St. Patrick's Day um, addendum about washing your hands, because I am going to talk about a disease, but not a people disease, a potato disease, and how it affected Irish history. Okay. So I'm going to talk about the potato famine. Potatoes. What I learned in school about the potato famine was more or less this. There was a disease that killed off all of the potatoes in Ireland. A bunch of the Irish people left and came to America and now we have a parade. Do you know where the parade started? Where did the parade start? We like to say it started in Boston. And as much as Boston as I want to give you credit. It started in Philly? It started in Florida. In Florida? Yeah. God damn it. And the St. Patrick's Day stuff uh, parade and all of the festivities. We started and the Irish are now adopting. For centuries, for centuries, all pubs were closed on St. Patrick's Day. You wow. could not go to the pub. Can you tell what I was originally going to research? St. Patrick's Day? The history of St. Patrick's Day celebrations nice. in the United States, yeah. Well, it's okay. Um, I decided to take a uh, lighthearted look at a, one of a one of the greatest tragedies in history. Woohoo! Wait, but do either of our things involve genocide? Yes. Oh, damn it! We were so close! Yeah, it's arguably, arguably genocide. So, it's like, here's a little bit of background. Potatoes, not native to Ireland. Uh-huh. They actually came from South America. They were first cultivated in Peru. Okay. They were brought to Europe and are currently the fourth largest food crop after corn, wheat, and rice that we grow. Okay. So uh, potatoes are a great food. They have a pretty high yield per acre. They have a lot of calories for every acre you plant potatoes. And they've got a lot of good vitamins. They've got vitamin C. they got a lot of potassium. And they keep really well. So potatoes don't go bad. They're easy to cook. There's not a lot of processing you have to do to have a potato go from something you've taken out of the field to something you can eat. Not like with rice or with wheat or with corn, where there's all those extra steps. Potatoes, good to go. They keep. They're a great food. Okay, I have a potato question for sure. you. Can you still eat potatoes when they started growing new potatoes? Yes. Do they taste good anymore? 
Arguably, no. Okay, because, like, I know that when our potatoes start growing new potatoes, I either put them in the compost or actually go plant them. Yep, that's what we do. That's how we grow potatoes, because we are cool like that. And this was, like, potatoes, the fact that they did this was great for an industrializing world, because there were fewer people farming, there were more people packed into small areas, and they had less time to do agricultural work. So these low-maintenance, easy potatoes really helped kind of spur the Industrial Revolution. So potatoes, yay! And... Here's some history about Ireland. Basically, ever since, uh, well, for Cromwell, England had been shitting on the Irish and the Catholics for hundreds of years. When Cromwell invaded Ireland, he killed about 10% of Ireland, and then they penalized all the Catholics. Uh, Here are some of the laws that they had that affected the Catholics, which was about 80% of Ireland. Uh, They cannot hold public office. They could not own firearms. They could not be a lawyer. They couldn't vote. They couldn't teach. They couldn't marry Protestants. They couldn't go to university, even abroad. They had. They could not build churches out of stone, and they could not build churches by a road. Most of these did get appealed by 1846, but it contributed to just generational poverty and kind of an underclass of citizen. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm not laughing about that happening. That's horrific. But I'm just remembering when I was going through my confirmation classes, because I went to Catholic school, I've mentioned that probably too many times. And one of our things was to compare different churches. Now, not different religions, just different Catholic churches. And I walked into one and they had all of these statues of saints everywhere. And these were clearly multiple thousands of dollars each. Don't get me started on the whole false idol thing. And then they had the audacity to say, we're struggling for money. This church was not struggling for money. They are still a very wealthy church to this day. And asked people to raise their tithes from the amount prescribed, I believe, in the Bible. I Possibly. I don't know. I haven't read that thing. So talking about like poverty among Catholics, it's just so not what I have seen growing up in the church. Oh, yeah. This was a very different time. <laughs> and of course... Also, there was all of these confusing laws about land ownership and who could own land and who couldn't. I'll give you a hint. The Catholics weren't really allowed to own land. And the ones that did own land, they couldn't inherit it directly. So it led to kind of a system of landlords and basically rich English people buying the land and then leasing it out to the Irish. But because they didn't live in Ireland, they'd have middlemen in Ireland who'd handle it. And they would raise the rent so they could basically make more profit. And then they'd divide and subdivide all of these plots until you didn't have enough land to farm on to actually make any money. And you could grow enough potatoes to maybe sell, to pay your rent, and have enough to eat. There was subsistence farming, and most of them were ended up working for their landlords, doing something else, and growing their own potatoes for food, just to survive. That sounds kind of like what I was talking about with, um, oh my god, I just lost her name. Uh, that The one from the Civil Rights Movement, uh, Fanny... Fanny Lou Hamer. Fanny Lou Hamer, yeah. yeah. What what she was growing up with and what yeah. she was living with. Very similar to sharecropping. And also... That's the word. Uh, there weren't really any tenants' rights. Uh, if you did anything to improve your land, your landlord could just kick you off and they didn't have to compensate you for any improvements. So there was no incentive to improve things. The one place where that was different was in Ulster, where they had... If you had in, like, made improvements, like you built a new shed, your landlord evicted you, they had to recompensate you for that shed. Ulster came up a lot in my second topic I was looking at, which Ooh. was the history of leprechauns. Ooh! I know, I just, the hand-washing thing, man, the hand-washing thing. Out of this poor country, about six million pounds a year were being sent back to these landowners in England just for rent. 
So this wasn't staying in the community. This was just a leech upon them. And these like landlords and their middlemen were called land sharks, leeches, parasites. They were a big problem and were awful. And people were starting to realize this was a problem too. And of course, Ireland was the poorest country in Europe at the time. And it was just, it was a bad situation. Here we go. Let's get started. Uh, in the 1841 census, there were 8 million Irish people living in Ireland. And two thirds of them depended directly on agriculture for just subsistence. That was... Most of them were potatoes because they had small crops of land. <laughs> Sorry, grammatically, you just said most of the people were potatoes. Yes, everyone in Ireland <laughs> is a potato. And Mr. Can... Mr. and Mrs. Potato Heads just walking around. Sure, picture that. That makes it. Like... <laughs> most of them were growing potatoes because that was the only thing they could grow enough of and that would keep. <laughs> most of the potatoes are growing additional potatoes to then eat. We get back to Jeffrey Dahmer all over again. Oh no, potato shakes! I'm trying to make her spray Pepsi out of her nose. Coke out of her nose. Dang Don't it. mention Coke and noses. So then the potato blight came. And it actually, the potato blight didn't start in Ireland. It started in America. And it started... You've made jokes about this our entire marriage, and then you would never clarify what you were talking about. I feel like you've been waiting for like four years to finally explain these jokes to me. Of course. That's what marriage is. You didn't even is. know we were going to have a podcast. You just knew someday oh, no. you would have a reason. Um, everything about our relationship screams, oh my god, these people have a fucking podcast. You people look at us and just go, ew, I bet they're podcasters. Yeah, it's the, the potato blight, because which is the blight of the 1840s, not the current blight of podcasters, <laughs> was uh, phytoflorta infestans. It's actually a parasitic algae, not a fungus. Huh. Yeah. Antifungals also came up in my research. All of the antis I could have included, but guys, antifungals get rid of fungus. What? I know. So I don't know how you, I don't know if there are anti-algeals. I guess there are though, because people like use them on their ponds and shit, right? Mm -hmm. It's probably very similar chemically, but I don't know anything about them. So I thought you hated the jazz age. It's, it's coming back to me. It's all coming back to me now. Oh my God. We're going to make this a two hour long podcast and everyone's going to have to suffer through it. Me most of all, because I'm editing it. They're all going to have to listen to my Celine Dion impression eventually. It'll be a bonus. Uh, It started in America in 1842, killed a bunch of crops in 1843, 1844, spread to Europe in 1845, and it led to hardship in all of these European countries, not just Ireland. Everywhere where this potato blight went, people went hungry. It caused a lot of unrest. I remember hearing a little bit in school about it not just affecting Ireland, but this was never a major topic we covered. Yeah, the uh, 1848 revolutions, or the springtime of the people, was the widest revolutionary wave in European history. It affected everywhere from Spain to Romania. It resulted in, like, the king of France being overthrown yet again. Several countries adopting democracy. Why are you laughing and reaching for something? (laughs) I was just gonna down what came into my head but now that even now that you've indicated it i have to say you said the whitest revolution and it sounds like you said the whitest revolution i mean it is europe so i guess (laughs) it was it's europe in this time in history (laughs) i have only had diet coke (laughs) this train is off the rails i think it's just like my my body and mind preparing for three weeks of like Self-isolation. Oh my god, we are going to be like stuck with each other for weeks. Well, this you gonna... don't know whether or not you have to go to work yet. I have to go to work on Monday. You know that, but you but... don't know about after. Me, I know I'm home for the next three weeks at a minimum, and I'm fine with that because I'm I'm a pretty big introvert, believe it or not. I've worked from home in the past. I'm okay with it. 
But man, I don't know if I'll survive three weeks of just being... The weather's going to get nice. You can grow our potatoes. Yay, I can start growing our potatoes. Hopefully there won't be a blight and we won't, we won't starve to death in, this, in these harsh times. I'm which, more worried about being untoilet papered to death. Um, It's okay. I was looking at these various plants that you can use as toilet paper. We have a lot of them growing in our backyard. There's a great book by Stephen King called Unwriting, and he mentions a time when he was a kid and he went out to the woods to use the bathroom and saw a plant to wipe himself with. It was poison ivy. It wasn't was poison it? ivy. Oh man! On uh, September 11th, 1845, Irish papers began reporting a cholera of potatoes that was causing these potatoes to rot in the field. English officials were optimistic. Uh, the alarming reports were just exaggerated Irish news. What? Yeah. Why on earth would we, like that? Good thing that that would never happen now. There were some people who were predicting that 80% of the crop would be lost, but it was actually closer to one third to one half the potatoes were lost. This was a bad time. It was- Unlike now, where everything is being taken exactly as seriously as it should be. It's like, again, we're talking about how it was tough in all these other places. It was tougher in Ireland just because they were already so poor. They were almost entirely dependent on potatoes as their one source of food. And the English response was not great. They um, bought some cornmeal, but they was had to be done like surreptitiously because the Tory conservative government uh, was backed by wealthy grain merchants who had a lot of protectionist grain tariffs that made it very expensive to import grain. And they thought importing grain from America would be would cost them business and drive them out of business. So they didn't want that to happen. So they had to get cornmeal because they can't they couldn't grow corn in England. And so they brought in corn. It took about a year for the corn to get there. Uh, when it got there, it was just whole, like whole kernels of corn. They didn't have mills in Ireland that could grind down corn, so there's only two that could. So that slowed it down again. And the Irish didn't know how to cook with cornmeal. Mm-hmm. It's very different from like everything else. You have to basically cook it twice. If it's cooked wrong, it'll give you just horrendous diarrhea that uh, was yellow and smelled like <clears throat> sulfur. So they called it. Uh, they named it after the prime minister. <laughs> Robert Peel, and they called it, where did I write it down? Ah, oh, I didn't write it down. But basically it was like Peel's Brimstone, I think, was okay. the, the the shits that the cornmeal gave you. And now they'd get to call it the Boris Johnsons, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah. It was, okay. oh, yeah, they also got scurvy, too, because they were used to eating these mineral and vitamin-rich potatoes, but now they were surviving on cornmeal. They all, He also improved public works, so basically you could build roads and stuff and get paid enough to be able to buy cornmeal at cost because it wasn't being given away. So it was a tough time, but they had some stuff that was preventing people from starving to death. There was still like some minor unrest, but nothing big. And for the first year, it was kind of okay. But in 1846, three quarters of the potato tro- crop was lost. And because of Peel's work and like them trying to get rid of these grain tariffs and all of this stuff... He got kicked out of office, and then the Whigs came in, who were very much of the, we don't need to provide charity to people. Charity makes them lazy. The market will fix everything. Whenever there's a question about what party did this on Jeopardy, I always yell the Whigs, even if I know it's wrong. It's important to point this out. There was still food in Ireland. They were growing other grains. They grew a lot of beef, but... It wasn't being given away to people. There were all these poor people who couldn't afford it, and it was being imported to England. So a lot of the starvation was not because of famine. It was entirely because of greed. Shocking. Good thing nobody behaves like that now. 
So the free market Whigs put uh, Charles Trevelyan, a civil servant, in charge of the relief effort. Relief is in big fucking quotation marks. First of all, the food that was being provided, this cornmeal was being brought in, was going to be much less. And it was not going to be provided at cost to people. It was going to be sold at market value by what by English merchants. So they're adding a middleman in. They've closed a lot of food depots. Uh, the public works were cut were cut down and were, people were paid less. And the big philosophy was, again, poverty is a moral failing. And we still do that today. We, we still, absolutely like, do. Well, if they had made better choices, well, if they hadn't chosen this life, or even if we talk about people who fall into gangs and drugs, we immediately brand them as bad people when that's possibly the only way to keep their families safe from, you know, other gangs or the only way to make money. It's important to point this out, too. They wanted to get rid of potato farming in Ireland because they thought it was making them lazy because they could just grow enough potatoes to eat and they didn't have to work as hard and they could continue to be Catholic and not be nice Protestant Englishmen. You seem like you have an opinion. No more than usual. So, again, this was bad. This was really bad. Guys, just be nice to each other. Other than when they're not washing their hands. Want to hear how it gets worse? Remember uh, Malthus, the guy who was like talking about how eventually, you know, people will, like the population will grow and outstrip their food sources? Yeah. He was talking very specifically about the Irish and how the idea is that if there's ever going to be any type of reform in Ireland, it would be after a great deal of them starved to death. Trevelyan was a student of his. Obviously, this didn't go well. It grow it first of all, it drove drove the price of food sky high because there was no relief and people were just paying a lot because there wasn't food. Uh, there was th- theft was rampant. There were high highway men, livestock killings in revenge to these landlords. Landlords were being murdered. They charity also they decided we're gonna have chari- help like encourage charity. The problem is the charity all stayed in the rich areas that were less hurt. The poor areas could not afford the charity to feed everyone else. All their money was being spent on food. They couldn't afford to give to charity and they were starving. Uh Uh-huh. Food prices doubled. The middle class even lost everything. Like the small landowners of 15, 20 acres all went bankrupt and could not afford anything. There were just so many evictions during this time because people couldn't afford to pay. They couldn't eat. So landlords were kicking people off left and right and making a ton of money doing it. And there were just people living in the field living in ditches and in fields and like like homeless starving irish were rushing into cities grain was rotting in fields because nobody could afford to pay anyone to harvest it so what we witnessed was the collapse of the entire irish economy Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the year there was incredibly heavy snow up to the eaves of houses wow big snowstorm and then 1847 started or as it's been come to known Black 47. This is the really, really bad times. After two years of bad crops, everything was just gone. Uh Uh-huh. Mothers were so malnourished that they stopped producing milk for their children and their babies starved. Uh Uh-huh. People's teeth were green because they were so hungry they were eating grass. Mm -hmm. Uh, Starving men and women fled to the coasts to try to eat seaweed and kelp or find oysters and things. And fishermen had sold their nets to be able to afford food, and they couldn't even catch enough fish to feed people. Mm-hmm. People even risked their lives by climbing up sea cliffs to find bird nests and hopefully eat the eggs out of them. Awesome. Yeah. And again, evictions were even more rampant now. Entire like places were just 
bulldozed and people were evicted. Homelessness and disease was starting to run rampant. And it's also worth mentioning, there's no record of how many people were evicted. They didn't start keeping record until after this, which after the worst of it, and it was still, I think, close to a quarter million evictions the first year they actually started keeping track of it. Mm -hmm. Diseases like diphtheria, dysentery, our old friend cholera, smallpox, and influenza were spreading. And all of these homeless just refugees from the countryside were going into cities and spreading these diseases. So disease was killing far more people than any of the starvation. And this is around the same time Civil Vice was figuring out that we needed to wash our hands and yeah. nobody listened. Well, I mean, I don't even think they, they couldn't even afford soap to wash their hands. They would probably, if they had soap, they would probably be eating it. Well, uh, like I read this article by a doctor the other day, it's like at least rinsing your hands is better than nothing. Yeah. And just people were so weak from hunger, they couldn't bury their dead. Uh-huh. And even then they stopped being able to afford actual burials and people were just thrown in pits. Uh, based on census data, which we have no way of knowing how many people actually died, they estimate one million people died, uh, mostly from disease. Yeah. Uh, just the stark reality and just the uncaring netlands of the government finally got picked up by the p- press, and there was global outrage. Rightly so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were getting. They started to get donations for Irish relief from as far away as Australia. And even uh, Native Americans and enslaved people from America were sending their money to Ireland. Jesus Christ, of course they were. Uh, The Pope gave money. uh, The Queen only gave 2,000 pounds. And even the Sultan of Turkey sent aid to Ireland. Mm -hmm. And another part of this is, which is what we learned about, the only reason we learned about in America, was because of the immigrations. During during these years, about 1.5 million Irish people immigrated to elsewhere. Uh, that's roughly as many as had left Ireland in the previous 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, passage wasn't cheap, so everyone who was coming over over was either wealthy enough that they could afford passage and were just trying to get out of this, or they had been evicted, and some landlords actually paid for their passage to Canada just so they wouldn't have like angry, evicted, poor people running around who would potentially come back and murder them and burn down their houses. Can't blame them on that one. Many went to Canada at first because they couldn't be turned away because Canada was part of England at that time. Uh-huh. And uh, then, after a while, fearing an Irish insurrection in Canada, they placed some heavy restrictions in 1847. About one-fifth of the people who went to Canada died. In the ships, It was they had about 10 square feet per person. They were allotted, like, seven pounds of bread per week per passenger. So it wasn't great conditions. They were called coffin ships. Uh-huh. And then once they get there, they'd be put on quarantine islands for a while. More than half of Toronto at this point suddenly became Irish-born. Uh, Toronto was a town of about 20,000 people. In 1847, 38,000 Irishmen came to Toronto. Jeez. Yeah. Then the United States, which was slightly more expensive, but was not really a better place to go to. The Irish were about half of all the immigrants that came to America during these years. Previously, they'd been about a third. And they mostly stayed in the port cities because they were, when they arrived, they were destitute. They'd spent all their money to get to America. They didn't have enough money to go inland or try and farm in the West. They were just in these cities. And it may not surprise you, but immigrants were not popular because these were poor and they were a different religion. And the older Irish immigrants hated the new ones because a lot of the ones who had come to you previously were the wealthy Protestant ones, uh-huh. not the poor Catholic ones. They had to start dif- differentiating themselves as being 
Scotch Irish or Ulster Irish mm-hmm. because they didn't want to be you know, lumped in with these poor people. And uh, the American Party started at this time, or the Know Nothing Movement, which was strongly opposed to immigration. Are you ready to hear something that's going to sound shockingly familiar? No, I'm done with all of this. There was lots of conspiracy theories about how about the Catholics and they were trying to take over the world. There was gangs roving around beating up Irish immigrants. There were doctors and scientists who were saying that the Irish were racially inferior based on like their skull measurements and all of the other cutting edge phrenology of the time. Uh-huh. Press sensationalized and heavily reported on crime from Irish neighborhoods. Because they were bringing in crime and their diseases, and some of them, I assume, were good people. Yeah. We have not gotten that much better. We have not. Not great times for them. But it was also not as bad as we think, because there's some banking records that show that these people living in these awful slums and tenements were living there because it was cheap, not because that was all they could afford. Because they were saving money, trying to improve their lives, and sending money back to Ireland. Uh So other people could come over to America... Or the people that were staying there could actually, you know, afford food. So not all bad. Also, Australia was an option. But, you know, how people would get, would get there? Would they commit a crime so they'd be sent there? Yeah. All right. I, I thought I remembered there being something about a lot of Irish people. In yeah, they would, they would commit crimes in hopes of being sent to a penal colony, colony in Australia because they were so desperate to escape the hardships and starvation in Ireland. Kind of like that guy who robbed a bank for $1 because he needed, I think it was cancer treatments. Yeah. And he couldn't afford them without being in prison. Lots of this sounds just hauntingly familiar. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the aftermath of all of this. I don't want to. Uh, Ireland did end up having a revolution. It failed miserably. They had no plan. Basically, it was all of the young extremists um, just knocking the moderates out of power deciding we're going to have a revolution with no plan, but the English had a plan and they arrested them and nothing really came of it. But they did come up with the Irish flag we know now. It's based on the French tricolor, but with Irish colors. So that's where that flag came from. Uh, Trevelyan, the gentleman who was so just excited about watching people starve to death, got knighted and went on to have a career in civil service working in India where the English also did nothing awful to the people, native people. No, no, we've never done anything bad to anybody. No. Uh, lots of people do now view the famine as a turning point in Irish history because it crushed any trust they had in the government, really started all of the stuff that led to the Easter Rebellion and all of the things that led to Irish independence. Want to hear some good news, though? Sure. Ireland is now an independent country. Yay! And in 2019, they gave uh, food and support aid to roughly 130 countries and spent 80 mil- eight, sorry, 800 million euros on aid and relief for starvation. So they have remembered part of their history and are doing something to make sure it never happens again. Wish we would do that. Yeah. Instead of just repeating our history endlessly. Uh-huh. <sighs> That's why we're here, guys, to make sure you know this history and remember to not repeat it. Except for when you're promoting our podcast. Absolutely repeat it then. You repeat all the information about our podcast. Yes, but don't repeat the history itself. Except for the Pliny shit, because I want to see someone with a horse testicle amulet walking around someday. Horse testicle amulet tattoo, just in case. Yep. So are you ready for some questions? Yes. All right. Will the fact that the blight started in America be on the test? No. Will the fact that Ireland was exporting, exporting food to England the entire time people were starving to death? 
be on the test? No. Will the fact that the free market did not fix all of these problems be on the test? The words free market won't even be on the test. Yeah. Uh, Will the fact that current criticisms of Muslims uh, were applied to Catholics during this time be on the test? Nope. We can't admit that we're doing bad things. And will a lot of the current propaganda against uh, Latin Americans was also used against the Irish be on the test? We are using this propaganda against every non-white, non-English speaking group there is, and we will never admit to it. Yeah, this is the exact same shit. And you know what? America is a better country for having the for having the Irish in it. Mm-hmm. I'll say it. it's one hundred percent a better country. And the same thing with the Italians, who also had the same problems. And every other immigrant group has improved America so much more than a any part of them have harmed it, except for the first group. Except for the first group, <laughs> who are like, "Oh, look at these Native Americans. You want some blankets?" Yeah, let's. We don't talk about them. That was the English. <laughs> And they just, I don't think, do the English ever do anything right? Yeah. Yeah, I love England. I haven't been there since Brexit, so I don't know. Um, Oh, boy. I'm Scottish, so I'm probably part of the problem. Probably. That was the potato famine. (laughs) You thought you were going to run us so over time and go crazy. And how, what are we at time-wise? One hour, 28. So I stuck to my time pretty well. There, I'm sure, is a lot of mine you can cut out. That's just me going, what the fuck, what the fuck, so. <laughs> yeah. So, what did you learn? I learned... Oh, I was going to add something to yours. Um, from the research I was originally doing. Yeah? The whole luck of the Irish thing mm-hmm. came from the prejudice against Irish people following them. Uh, the whole, like, they're lazy, blah, 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 bullshit. Uh, they started moving west, and they started finding gold. People were like, there's no way Irish people are smart enough and hard enough workers to have actually discovered this. So there must be some kind of magical creatures or something helping them. Or they're just extremely lucky, hence the luck of the Irish. Wow. Yeah. So the luck of the Irish is actually a racial slur. Uh, Originally, yeah, for sure. Wow. Is everything we say just a, a racial slur? Well, we're white, so probably. Damn it. Um, but what did I learn? I didn't know about the cornmeal thing. I didn't know that they were like, let's just send them a bunch of shit they don't know how to cook and watch them starve to death even faster. But like by tricking them into thinking they having they have help. Not that that happens anymore. Well, that's that's the crazy thing. It was actually helpful eventually. They just didn't think it through at first. Yeah. What's something you learned? That like people weren't washing their hands until I was well into my childhood. Yeah, like seriously, like that means our parents were born when doctors weren't really mandated to wash their hands. That explains so much about our parents. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. So where can they find us on social media? We are at on the test pod on Twitter, at on the test pod on Instagram, Facebook.com slash on the test pod. You can also just search for Will This Be on the Test on Facebook. Our image at the moment is a statue doing a face palm. We are also at onthetestpod.com, or wherever books are sold. We should probably change that, because you're not supposed to touch your face, and we're supposed to be setting good examples. I mean, he's made of rock, and he's been like that for centuries. Oh, okay. I never realized how much I pull my lip when I'm trying to think, though. Oh, I've realized, like, every time I'm reading something on a computer screen, I put my elbow on the desk, 
and put my hand on my chin, and then I chew on that little space between my thumb and forefinger. And you're even worse off because you have a full beard and mustache, so you yeah. can't just go, like, wash your face real fast. Uh-huh. So, don't touch your face, kids. You do it 10,000 times a day as it is. Yeah. <sighs> so, I guess on that note... Class, class dismissed! dismissed.